Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Last Zebra. This is a podcast that I've been excited to get going. It's a podcast that I'd like to talk to uh, all of my colleagues, friends, and everyone that I've interacted with in medicine about the nuances of medicine, the non-clinical things that really make up the art of what we do. So the art of medicine and how it manifests in how each of these individuals practice. I think there's so much beauty, so much experience, so much that we can all learn from each other that goes beyond the books, that goes beyond bedside medicine. So with that being said, I'd like to introduce my very first guest of The Last Zebra, pharmacist, <laughs> travel extraordinaire, yes, traveler sir. extraordinaire, farm D. Onyedikachi Eke, Doctor Eke. Yes, go. Welcome, 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 my brother. Thank you, sir. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. It's been over you. You've been planning this for how long? Years, three, four years. I was in, I was in fellowship when I, when I first thought about this. So, um, we were talking to some of my cool fellows about starting this. So they're going to see this and get jealous for sure. Yeah, let's go. I mean, they see it and hop on. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll get in touch with them, and we'll talk about something there too. But yeah, man, thanks for, thanks for being here. Yeah, let's get to it. All right. Yeah, I've known this dude my whole life, like literally my whole life. From so. Nigeria to Jamaica to Louisiana, <laughs> dog. Thibodeau, Louisiana. Thibodeau. Yo, matter of fact, like that. Am I a stalker? Have I been stalking you? No, you literally been stalking me since I was five years. Wow. Well, anyway, here we are. Finally. Thanks for being my first guest, bro. Of course. Wouldn't dive it any other way. I know, I know you're busy with uh, you know, life <laughs> and all the adventures. Where's the last place you've been? Uh just came back from Cabo for like a weekend getaway. And then You just that, don't casually say okay, like, yo. I mean, bro. you had to. You know, it is like you're in a house, you just you, you can't look at you these four walls for too long. I came back from a weekend in Cabo. Okay, And continue. then uh, before that, it was like Jordan, Japan, India, like one mega trip for like about a month. You know, but we're here. We're here. We're didn't, I, didn't I see Beyonce in there somewhere? Where'd you see B? I, I don't acknowledge that one. Why? It, it wasn't my choice. It was my, so I... You remember how the Taylor Swift tickets like exploded in price, right? Yeah. You couldn't get them. They sold out. Yeah. Like one ticket going for 15 grand, et cetera, right? I don't know that. But. Yeah. So it was, it was a whole thing. So my dumbass, when Beyonce tickets went for sale, I was like, you know what? I'm sure this is going to go exactly the way it went. So I ended up buying two floor seats to Beyonce wow. in Atlanta. Those tickets were irresponsibly expensive. I was like, you know what? It's an investment. I'm going to get my money back. I'm going to flip this, right? Tell me why this woman opened two more shows in Atlanta, like, on the same weekend. So and it was impossible to sell. So value, the value of tickets. Yeah. So it was either I sell them for a big loss or just go enjoy the experience. So I ended up going there last week, Saturday, I think. Was it worth it? Yes and no. Yes and no? Yeah. So yes, because it's Beyonce. Why do yeah. no? No, because I don't know any of her songs, dog. You don't know Beyonce? Like, I know maybe five songs. All right, it's, what's that one? It's like, I may be young, but I'm That's ready. That's uh, that one. Um, what's the other one? It's funny because you can actually sing. So <laughs> I feel like you just, 
He, you purposely did a hard. What you want me to do? Nah, we're not gonna do that. But uh, yeah, but it was cool though. It was a visual experience. It was like it was great to just be in the atmosphere, especially like with eighty thousand people just jamming to this lady's songs. Like she was a spectacular performer. I've so that's really good. I've heard there are people that put her up there, and there's certain people that put her beyond Michael Jackson as and. I don't know that. I don't know if anyone can compete with people fainting from a man putting on a glove. Like this is this is true. That's just level. However, it was spectacular. Like the outfits. Like there was this one point where Blue Ivy came out, mm-hmm. and the whole Blue Ivy to school. Down. She'd have to go to school. It's summer. It's summer school. Like she's wow. She's a billionaire. Like she'll have to do nothing. Go ahead, Blue. I think the tour is almost over, so she can't go. But um, yeah, it was it was a solid experience. That's but awesome. now we're back in town. We're chilling. Head down. Getting work done. You know, just communing with, with our friends over here. But, yo, you know what? I was actually thinking on the drive over, like, in terms of career choices, in terms of, like, the things that we've been doing the last few months. Mm-hmm. Given the state of medicine, right, and given everything that goes on so far, everything that's, like, you've experienced, especially as an attendant, would you do it all over again? So I think the best way I can answer this is that I've been really, really blessed in that I truly lack foresight. I've said, I've I've probably described this um, to many, many people. My wife is probably tired of hearing me say it, but I lack foresight when it it came to my career in medicine. Mm. If you think about it, so I started college in 2005 at Nichols State, Coconos, and if Someone told me in 2005, you will not be done with medical education, medical, formal medical uh, education, so med school, residency, fellowship, um, until 2021. I don't think I would have done it. Mm. The only person that could have convinced me to do it is me. Having finished it now, so I am two years removed from finishing my fellowship in pulmonary critical care. It's 100% worth it. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, and that is behind me now, but it is 100% worth it. So if I could go back in time, I would tell my young self, trust me, it's worth it in the end. It's long, it's arduous, it's quite the adventure. Um, Lots of ups and downs. Medical school is hard. I went to a Caribbean medical school. That has its own unique challenges. Mm. Um, I went to a smaller community residency, Shabir Medical Center. Shabir, uh, good old Shabir. Good old Leonard J. Shabir. Yeah. Those are my people. And of course, I came to Tulane after that. And all of those experiences, while unique, have been have their own unique challenges, unique in challenges, unique in... Um, the patient population who you see, the kind of people you meet, the kind of people that those settings themselves attract. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've, I've made some of my best friends throughout this whole process. Uh, truly, truly, in, in retrospect and in hindsight, like I'm saying, truly has been a pivotal part. The, the process of getting to today has been so crucial for me. And at each step has been very rewarding. And I will do it all over again. Ugo, 
me, Dr. Ugo, as the attending, would 100% do it all over again. But in the middle of it, it felt, man. Yeah, especially like given our experiences as international students. That's true. You know, because the more I sit back, the more I realize how different it was for us. Because a lot of those students grew up with like family backing. They grew up with student loans, which although it does come with a debt burden, mm-hmm. also affords you certain niceties, like mm-hmm. certain comforts. That's like, for instance, we didn't have cars until, right, when did you get your first car? My first car I got my first year of, my first car ever. Mm-hmm. I got my first year, and I still have it, my Honda Accord, and yep. Elizabeth, named after Saint Elizabeth, Sainty, Saint Bess. Of course. Of Jamaica. Course. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, a Honda Accord, 2015, I love her. I don't even know if I could drive another car, honestly. I, it, I am emotionally attached to my Honda Accord. Wow. Emotionally okay. attached to her. Okay. Um, my mom helped me buy it. <laughs> she put down the down payment for it. So, I, I, but yeah. I, I, but I was what? I was 20, what was that, 28, 29? Right? Yeah. Beginning of fellowship like when I first, when I got my first car. Be, the beginning of residency when I got my first I car. I didn't realize it was that late. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Bought it brand new uh, from the lot. Mm. In retrospect, I should have just gotten a used car. But it being brand new is probably playing a role as to how well it's running now. And warranty. And warranty and all that. It's paid off. Um, Very happy. Every time, she just got a detail the other day. Oh, man. Purring. Man. My little baby. Anyway. You know, what's crazy is like, my first car, come to think of it, I don't think you ever saw it. It was up in Monroe. It was a 1990. Lexus. We got it on that opposite. I saw Gloria. Yeah, I did drive it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw it. Um, I saw it. A 19, like 13 miles per gallon. I think <laughs> I paid, I think I paid like $1,400 for that car. Because yeah. like it's all we could afford yeah, yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah. And um, between tuition being due, uh, like in two weeks and not really being sure when. Yeah, you to know, sell it. Exactly. That kind of stuff. So it's like, when you think about the difference in experiences and factoring all that in, you say it's still worth it to pursue. Like, especially given the relatively exponential return. Right? Yeah, 100%. It's worth it for a few reasons. Um, I think, obviously, it depends on what you're going into it for. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reward of fulfilling your passions, if you have a passion in medicine, mm-hmm. the reward of going through something generally difficult. It's like working out, right? So like if you have a goal in mind and typically it takes years to really get the, the physical manifestation of what you want from exercise. Right. And when you get there, that reward is justified. It's the same thing with medicine. It's, it's, it's a decade plus worth of continuous grind. And graduating, is it in, graduating from medical school doesn't even feel, to me, didn't really feel that rewarding because you know you have residency. Yeah, so much more. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot more left. Um, graduating from residency, that's a positive step because you can start working now as a, my wife always, my, my, my wife would always tease me when I was in residency. She's like, you're not even a real doctor. I'm like, <laughs> I have an yeah, MD, yeah. I am a real doctor. But I know what she means. Mm-hmm. And, but I knew I wanted to specialize. So, Pulmonary critical care is what I went into. So graduating from that was 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 my first real I'm done moment. 
And that that felt like a catharsis kind of yeah. Just a thing off your shoulders. Yeah. Like we're here. Exactly. We're here. So yeah. that that catharsis, that moment of uh crossing the line, crossing the a real finish line, everything else had just been a hurdle that you've been jumping over. True. Um, but crossing the finishing line uh, from fellowship was quite the experience. I think emotionally, I, f- I really, that really, really clicked for me. Um, that, and of course, being a doctor is really, really cool. Um, I really enjoy what I do. Um, and that in itself is wrong. I tell, I was just telling a friend of mine today that attending life is the only life. <laughs> so anyone that's in med school, yo, anyone in med school, residency or fellowship, attending life, man, it's the only life. It's, it's life hasn't even started for them yet. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it in the end. It really is. It's it's such a good time. I mean, training is difficult mm. because it has to be. Uh, the whole point is that at, at the end of each of those trainings, residency and or fellowship, is that you are proficient right. and excellent at what you're supposed to be doing, whatever you're specialized in. So it's difficult. And the what makes attend, being an attending really you know, really worthwhile is the ownership, the art that you can imply, the, the, that you can do on your own style of medicine. Mm. You kind of get to flourish in that way. And it takes a while. I'm still figuring out my art. Well, you're on your way. Like, but you know, I'm on my way. Starting to yeah. feel, yeah. yeah. How about you? Pharmacy? Pharmacist? No. If you, like if you, everything you describe is such a contrast to what the practice is, right? Yeah, so yeah. for us, like in the pharmacy profession, the catharsis comes early. Hmm. And how PG can we get on this podcast? We can bleep out. Uh, no, that's uh, the, the subject matter itself. But anyway, like, I think it's how I would describe pharmacy versus medicine as the male versus female orgasm. Oh, God. Let me know. Let me know if I should use her. <laughs> no, I mean, you might as well. You might as well. So, colloquially, like, the male orgasm is, like, a uh, rapid peak, easy to achieve, mm-hmm. and over very quickly, mm-hmm. versus... <laughs> Here, let me just stop. Let me just stop before I hang no, myself. No, you, you're too, you're too okay, late. It's too late. It's too, late. too late. Right. Go ahead. Finish. Versus the female orgasm requires more study, more effort, more finesse, and tends to last, the, the payoff tends to last much longer and is seen as more rewarding. Now, I'm guessing this, uh, medicine is a female. Medicine oh, yeah. is a female orgasm. Would, so, so how does that, how does that manifest itself let me explain. in actual... Let me explain. All right, this convoluted analogy. So you did, what, four years undergrad, four years med school, right? Four, yeah. Yeah, so same for us. Four years undergrad four years grad school, like pharmacy school, which mm-hmm. ends up being like a professional doctorate on both ends. Mm-hmm. However, if you so choose with pharmacy, your training stops there. Like you can be released into the world because our scope of practice is drastically more limited um, than you do in medicine. Like granted, a lot of the knowledge base is the same. Right. Um, like in medicine, however, you guys are more focused on the diagnostic. And while you are trained in pharmacology, like. It's not as intimate. Like you practically could do what we do, but it's not gonna be as in-depth that like in-depth knowledge. First, us, we are trained as experts. Right. 
and like the mechanism, the effect, uh, pharmacodynamics, pharmacokinetics of a drug. So like when you prescribe a course of treatment, mm -hmm. like we then look at a whole patient to see what exactly is the trajectory of that treatment as far as it relates to whatever else the patient is on, the patient's genetics, et cetera. Um, however, with the way the medical system is set up in the United States right now, um, I've kind of boiled it down to this two-step process. You're either a source of income or you're a cost, right? A pharmacist is. A pharmacist, right. Okay. So, well, no, in general, like every job in healthcare can be put into those two buckets. Okay, fair, fair. Um, mainly because of the way fee structures are set up, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So in, in, a, the, in a capitalistic in a health. Holy, in the American income-driven capitalist, like not as altruistic setup. Yeah. Those are the two buckets right. that exist in healthcare. So within the income bucket or the income generator bucket, there are physicians, mm -hmm. there are NPs, PAs, um, there are even like to some degree nurses because nurses are so integral to the care of patients. Like you can't get away with because physicians aren't going to manually take care of 20 some patients. I, I would say any bedside right. provider. So, Any provider, really. Exactly. Anyone who is either on the diagnostic side and who can bill for a procedure right. or anything at all right. or is integral to the carrying out of that procedure mm -hmm. and the test, etc. So on the other hand, you have the auxiliary staff, which is literally what it's called in the healthcare system that includes PTs, pharmacists, etc., etc., etc. I feel like the pharmacist aspect of it is especially egregious for multiple reasons. Okay. Um, on the pharmacy side, right, you go through a doctorate level program mm -hmm. that is wildly expensive, mm -hmm. right? Um, the costs are almost approaching med school. And because, again, of the way things are set up, we don't generate income for the hospital. We're more of a cost-saving procedure. So, for instance, we catch errors, mm -hmm. like during prescribing, we catch um, anything that might cause harm. Mm -hmm. So, in the system that I just described, it's like, how do you value that? You know, how do you put a dollar value to that versus I can say, well, Dr. Ugo generates $2 million, $4 million, $5 million a year for the hospital. Mm -hmm. Like, in this black and white area, like by building these RVUs, this is what he pulls in so we can pay him a fraction of that. There's no measure to go, well, I know Kachi saved this patient from um, bleeding to death from, I don't know, like two blood thinners at the same time. Like there's no dollar value to that. Like in the healthcare system, there's no reimbursement set on paper. So then it's up to the administrators to go, well, How do we value that? And for an administrator, you look at how much money can I go home with at the end of the day? So it's more, I'm going to try to minimize this cost as much as possible. And in most hospitals, the pharmacy, in terms of the budgeting, mm -hmm. the top cost is salary. Right below that 
is a pharmacy. Like, because you, you've seen how much drugs can cost. Like, right. for instance, in a heart procedure, uh, a factor, a dose of factor can cost a patient $60,000, per dose. Yes. So they're looking at that budget going like, okay, this is impacting my bottom line. How can I squeeze that? Right. So they're going to look at the salary. They're going to look at staffing. They're going to look at how to best minimize that overall balloon that is the pharmacy budget. So I think that's where the experience starts to shift between the two. So whereas you get to practice the art of medicine, mm. for us, it's more how much can you do with as little as possible? So you get squeezed, you get like, basically the experience is very different, you know? So that's kind of where it's been interesting because we've talked about like me potentially want to go back to med school right? because I was a bit disappointed with, oh, with uh, the actual practice that is pharmacy versus, well, yeah, that pretty much boils down like the difference in experience. Um, and frankly, it's gone to the point where I tell people if you're going to choose like what your time investment is because while there is a difference in training, um, duration and the duration of training, right? Like you still get compensated like a large fraction of a pharmacist's salary, like while you're in training. So in terms of lifestyle, while it's on hold and while you are like working long hours, like your life isn't entirely on hold, you know, like you had kids yeah, uh, yeah. during fellowship, like you were able to travel a little bit, like enjoy life a bit. So I think that's kind of the, one of the boundaries, one of the differentiating factors. Like what is the ultimate return on investment? You know, like for instance, we say we work, because I don't think either of us took student loans. Though. No, I don't. Like, really yeah. Know. So like if we did, mm-hmm. we'd almost be in the same level of like raw financial investment. Right. Versus looking at this point going forward, like what are we looking at um, in terms of payoff, like long, long, long term. Right. It's almost exponential in a way. Because I don't work traditionally, like traditional pharmacy anymore, because I do locums down and stuff and I travel. So that helps close the gap. However, for the majority of pharmacists, that's kind of what the profession is like. And it's gone to the point where I think... people are starting to see it. Like enrollment is dropping. Enrollment like, into pharmacy school? Pharmacy school is dropping, mm. like off a cliff. And people are starting to go, wait, is this, like, is this worth it? With this fee structure, the way things are set up now. So, I mean, I have hope for a long-term future, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking I might be joining you soon or like entering a business world or something. So how would you fix it? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say you have hope, what's your hope anchored on? How would you fix it? Um, even, even if it's theoretical, how can we fix this system where the value of a pharmacist catching a medical error mm-hmm. that would otherwise not be caught mm-hmm. had that pharmacist not intervened? And that saves the hospital X amount of mm-hmm. dollars, legal ramifications and you could put a dollar amount to that too right right. and that can amount to tens of thousands that can amount to hundreds of thousands right 
how millions perhaps and, depending and, on and legal ramifications exactly yeah. and possibly even millions mm. not to mention saving a patient's life which is the most important thing how do you then and it's a horrible question to ask but in an effort to make how it, do you measure oh how do you how do you then go about reimbursing a figure mm. that cannot be quantified quantified exactly i think therein lies the conundrum where do we go through the list of the most common errors caught and do a study on like try to extrapolate based on previous uncaught incidents like what the cost was or like try to see how much it would cost and then give the pharmacist like a percentage of that like what realistically i think is what counters my hopeful my like my hope for the change mm-hmm. is that again based on the ultimate goal of healthcare is to make money mm-hmm. i don't think you i don't, said ultimate uh, the ultimate like I, no I, so i don't think hospitals would the ultimate goal of the practitioner the provider is to save lives right mm-hmm. but to care to their patients provide care yeah, right to provide care um but the ultimate goal of the hospital system is to make money. Fair enough. So I think I have little faith that those in charge of money cuz like power isn't power and money aren't easily relinquished. Like we see it in every facet of society where mm-hmm. like once a certain group of people maintain power like they're very unwilling like to let go. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I see a benefit for administrators or for shareholders to go you know what i'm going to hand over more money like to this group of people so the only way i see true change is again i don't know if it's going to happen but like unionization mm. or um revise like lobbying the federal government or like the insurers or whoever it is that sets certain fee structures to reevaluate how things are looked at you know like certain salaries or how much per hour because there's also the flip side where things are the way they are now due to saturation mm. so there are too many pharmacists there are a lot of pharmacists okay. right um and the thing is right you don't need that many pharmacists at the end of the day when wow. you look at right, how many patients do you say you see on average on a daily basis um in clinic mm. 18 18 15 to 18 patients in clinic okay. on the floors on a busy floor week so inpatient for pulmonary uh, busy out say 6 to 12 6 to 12 a day a day and right. in the ICU in a standard busy ICU depends i'm i'm at a smaller hospital compared to some of the larger ones but mm. our census fluctuates between what 8 to maybe 15 wow it's even lower than i thought yeah but sometimes i mean when when it's high i mean it's high uh, covid shall not be named but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah on the flip side right when you look at 
Uh, say, for instance, the other buckets I was talking about, for instance, nursing, how they kind of fall into the same bucket as you guys mm-hmm. to some degree. That's why they have more bargaining power now, mm-hmm. where you see nurse compensation is almost cashing off the pharmacist compensation. It's because a similar ratio exists where one nurse in an ICU setting will be expected to take care of between one to three patients and three is like pushing it. Right, right. So, whereas a pharmacist, in a, I'm used to working between, in hospitals between like two to 500 beds. Mm-hmm. Most hospitals will leave one pharmacist or max two or three to cover an entire hospital overnight. Mm. So we're looking at a ratio of one to 100, one to 200 sometimes. So that's the staffing that is required. Whereas we have pharmacy schools pushing out, what, 100 kids? Yeah, and there are six pharmacy schools in the state of Texas alone. Like we have two in Louisiana. And if you go up to New York, it's like five, six, seven, eight. Like we're just in that area alone, such a concentrated area. So for the last 10 years, there's been a concentrated push to like invite these kids to apply, you know, mm-hmm. like with a promise of a six-figure career. Um a relatively easy lifestyle, no residency. You don't see blood that often. You know, just like, oh, come on, like, it's, an, it's a good path to a doctorate in healthcare. You know, mm-hmm. you can do your thing. And what that's created is a glut that has just forced compensation down. So we have almost an entire generation educated in this profession who is going to, like, have trouble finding good-paying jobs for a while just because of the loss of supply and demand. Now, like I said, like enrollment is starting to drop. People are starting to realize, oh, this is not a good use of $300,000 in student loans. So the tide is beginning to turn to some degree, but those are the counterpoints I see maybe in the next 10-ish years, maybe things changing. Um, But until then, like, I just don't know. I don't know. But do you think that that for each hundred, so if it's one pharmacist to a hundred patients, an average is a lot, on a day-to-day basis, how does that manifest itself from a day-to-day basis? So when you say, when I say, I ha- when I say or when you, we talk about schools, that mm-hmm. there's a one to five teacher ratio, and you're saying there's a one to... 100 pharmacy to patient ratio. Is it that you're interacting with these patients' charts, at least mm-hmm. all of these patients' charts? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your so, typical day like where that ratio makes sense on a day-to-day basis? So the good thing about pharmacy is that like you, a patient is a patient, but they're more often than not, they're their chart. Whereas when you go, you assess, you, right. there's so many things that you have to look at versus for me, I'm concerned with maybe half of what you're concerned with. I'm concerned with disease state because mm-hmm. I don't have to diagnose. Mm-hmm. I don't have to make sure my diagnosis is correct. Um, however, I do look at the patient's profile, look at the labs. I look at everything a patient's been treated with. I have to make sure that the disease state matches the treatment, that the treatment is correct. Then I look at alternate ways to treat that patient. Like, is there a way to save cost, save medication burden? Um, 
prevent waste, like save the hospital money. Right, right, right. Um, so it's more of a, it's more academic than it is like the physical, clinical, clinical aspect of it. Gotcha. So it, I kind of think of us as the librarians of the healthcare world, like cool. the drug librarians. Yeah. Like, you know, we just, okay, all right, let's look through this type of thing, resources, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, when you guys have questions, hey, like, I have this patient with this, which agent do you think I should go with? Type of question, that's where we come in. Um, so it is less intense. That's why they're able, we're able to manage the workload because you don't have to go as in depth with each patient. Um, whereas there's also the aspect where we compound drugs as well. Right. So there's a clinical aspect of it for us, mm-hmm. but then drugs need to be sent to the floor. Right. We're in charge of making sure each patient is medicated. We're in charge of making sure things are sterile, like especially in the hospital setting, a lot you're there to get IV drugs mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Right? Why not just give you Tylenol mm-hmm. on the floor and then keep you paying thousands of dollars a day in healthcare costs? So um, we're in charge of supervision, supervising our technicians. And then because nationally it's been harder to hire these technicians, so pharmacists are more and more in roles of finding like coverage, like making sure now we're the ones in the IV room. Mm-hmm. Now we're the ones like doing the clinical aspect and still like taking over more like the, of the manual aspects of the job um, just to keep things running and staffing budgets aren't keeping up to make things comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hospital is going, well, if these two can do it, um, why can't you? Like, it's just, you might as well, well, how can we get away with maybe one person doing it? To save money. And that's like the kind of the equation. And my perspective comes from the healthcare, like the healthcare system hospital aspect of it, much less to talk of our poor brothers in the retail space, like where CVS and Walgreens are. I was just actually in a Walgreens here in the city where it was just this one middle-aged pharmacist by herself covering an entire store for 10 hours. So I'm talking, you walk in, you open the store, you answer the phones, you have to catch up with like filling prescriptions from the night before because you don't have a technician, mind wow. you. You don't have someone to actually do the manual wow. filling of the pill bottles. So you're doing the clinical aspect. Everything I just talked about, you look at your patient, make sure therapy's correct, mm-hmm. make sure the prescription wasn't written correctly, that kind of thing. And then you do... 300 prescriptions in a day, like manually putting them together, verifying, looking, all of that. And then you interact with the public who doesn't understand the clinical aspect of your job. and just wants to know why it's taking you so long to put 30 Tylenols in a pill bottle and give it to them type of thing. You know, so there's that aspect where when I tell you the people who are in charge want to see if they can get away with doing less, you know, like hiring less people to do the same job. Same thing where like flu season is coming around, for example, mm-hmm. where not only do you have to do all that, but they want you to hit goals of like giving out 50, 60 vaccines per day mm. because they can bill more for that on the current healthcare system, like reimbursements. 
And this is a whole like, there's something called a PBM, a pharmacy benefit manager, which tells the pharmacy how much they're going to pay them for like dispensing a medication, right? Okay. So say for instance, um, I buy a bottle of blood thinners, like a bulk for $100. Okay. And I need to sell that for 100 plus X amount of money to make profit. Well, the way insurance works now is that you go through those farm pharmacy benefit managers who then pay the pharmacy. And they might tell the pharmacy, well, that $100 bottle, I'm not paying you more than $95 for it. Mm. Like, suck it. That's your loss. And that's why it's driving down the profit of the actual dispensing, which is why they're pushing more and more for vaccinations. So in order to make money, in order to make more money and like save on staffing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not only do you have to keep pushing these prescriptions, but they want you to vaccinate. Mm -hmm. They want you to counsel. They want you to do this and that and that. So that's what's leading to the burnout that you're seeing in so many pharmacists everywhere. Um, Meanwhile, competition is not keeping up. Like, whereas when I graduated, even five years ago, wow. Um, I got offered a sign-on bonus, moving allowance, like mid six figure, like it just, things were better and they were even better back in the day. Right. But now you have kids graduating where. And this is just a five year difference. Five year difference. Mm -hmm. Now you have kids graduating where they're not even willing to pay them $40 an hour. So that's kind of where. I look at the corporate aspect of things that makes me think, okay, well, I don't know if things are going to change necessarily without like drastic action. What would you, so I, I gave the example that if I went back in time, mm. I would tell a younger me, you know, push through. It's mm. going to be all right. It's mm. worth it in the end. It's hard, but mm. it's worth it, worth it in the end. One, what would you tell you? It, you're an undergrad. You're in Nickel State. Mm. What would you tell you at Nickel State? You went back in time. What would you tell you at Nickel State in undergrad about where you are today, one? And two, what, it, what would you tell you then that would encourage you to, to carry out this journey? So what, what's your first instinct? So ironically, I've kind of been the ghost of Christmas future mm. for a lot of like pharmacy students. Mm. So... You know how people, we go on rotations and mm-hmm, stuff like mm-hmm. just to see how things work. I look at them a lot of the time. I'm like, don't, don't do it. Really? Like, don't do it. Again, when you look at... Don't do what? Don't do pharmacy. But they're already in pharmacy. So there's still time, more or less. <laughs> wow. It's, I don't subscribe to the sunk cost fallacy, you know? Yeah. You can always, like, life is one thing where you can always just make a U-turn right. and do something else. Mm-hmm. Like, one or two years won't cost you like that much to ultimately achieve a better goal. So I'm kind of like living the aspect where I tell these kids like, hey, you know, there are better options to be made. And it's one of those things where I wish someone had told me Mm. in as like flat out terms. Because again, you say lack of foresight. I also, I was like, because we started college around the same age. I was 16 when I went to Nichols. I was 17. So, yeah. Like I had no idea. Honestly, I have no idea how I became a pharmacist. I was like, okay, that seems like a good career. Advisors. It's a good career. You know, you, blah, blah, blah. But people don't usually talk about the day-to-day ins and out 
of something until it's too late and you see for yourself. Mm. So for me, that manifests in, if I could go back, um, I would be med school. I'd go to med school. Mm. I would, or because you know, I've always been good with computers. Um, I have friends now who make what I do and they're software engineers. One of them's like trips in through South America, working remotely, like from some bungalow in Nicaragua or something, just like chilling. She's going to go spend a month in Bali next month. Right. So the ability to work remotely, especially in, you know, these days is something I didn't know I, was, I would value as much. Because, you know, I, I like to travel. Right. I want to see the world. My goal is to see as much of it before I'm too old to see any of it, right. you know? Um, so what would you... I would stick with... I will go to tech. I would stick in tech or go to medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, and to maintain the lifestyle I do, I'd probably work locums instead. I just work half the year. And you, you're able to do that financially because of, like, difference in pay and stuff for half the year and then just spend the rest of the traveling. But the way things are structured now, like with pharmacy, I definitely wouldn't do it again. Wow. I wouldn't do it again. So what does a world, what does a healthcare system without pharmacists look like? So it looks better when there are less of us. That's what it looks like. But it looks like it's more work for the less of us that's there. So it's more, I think there's some, there are only a few ways to like improve the way you're valued. It's scarcity Fair. or unionization. Mm. And because of the way, you know, unions are looked at in America sometimes and the way like, our structure, we don't have the numbers necessarily to unionize like that. Mm-hmm. So scarcity is kind of the option. Like that's going to drive change going forward. Like when you're looking for pharmacists and you go like, oh, wait, like we're having trouble doing this. But again, like they're just going to find ways to change the laws. Like, because a lot of reason pharmacists exist is to double check things. Right. And they're just going to find ways to uh, deregulate. Exactly. So. Well, deregulation is so difficult in a bureaucratic (laughs) system. Touche. The the whole point is essentially to regulate, especially in healthcare. It's it's hard to go back when it comes to regulation. Sure. It's almost, it's almost always, uh, the opposite of entropy. <laughs> this is very true. More regulation. Um, and it depends also on what the goal is, right? Because here in America, the goal is to make money. Like yeah. we, they're not no like no one's gonna pay a surgeon two million dollars a year if they can't make X million dollars more from that surgeon's labor. Right. Right. It's just the way it works. Um, it sounds reductive, but like when we take a step back, it's why we do anything in society. Like our time is the only thing that is of value. It's, and the goal ultimately is to make your time as valuable as possible to a prospective employer or to yourself, mm-hmm. you know? So it's what makes me believe we have some work to do as like, as a pharmacy profession to try and decide like, okay, are we going to make ourselves more scarce or are we going to find a way to just make some changes happen because it's unsustainable as it is. 
How much longer do you have to be a pharmacist? I give myself like max two, three years. Really? Like just to, because honestly, one thing I've been waiting on is, I told you about my citizenship thing. No, no, no. What? Yeah, so I did my, passed my civics test. Oh, nice. End of last month. I'm just waiting now on the old ceremony. Oh, say, can you see? Oh, oh Lord. <laughs> I'm about to be an American. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. You're not but, getting it now. <laughs> when they see this, I know. Oh, no. Without publishing this for like a while, right? <laughs> but um, that kind of is, you know, you, you know how it is. Like when you're going through the immigration process, you yeah, kind of yeah. feel stuck in place yeah, for yeah. a while. So, I feel like when this thing clears up, hopefully by the end of the year, it'll give me the breathing room to actually just, you know, think, get that weight off my shoulders and then make moves and actually start running. Um, But beyond that, like, it's, I wouldn't say like it's been terrible because I do have fun, you know? Like pharmacy is, it is rewarding to help a patient. Mm -hmm. It is rewarding to... Like, I can't tell you how many times I've called residents, but like, hey man, did you, did you, did you mean to order that? Like, you know, you sure? All right, but it's just it's cool. It's cool. I'll fix it. Type of thing where, you know, it's a learning experience right. and you're there, like your role is important. Right. Like, and I think that's what it is. I'll like, go, I'll go past important. It's critical. Right. I would, I would, I would happily, happily confess that I am indebted to the pharmacists in my, at my hospital. Mm. I truly, truly uh, am. They're so, so critical to what we do in healthcare. Critical to what we do. And I'm saying this from, and I'm saying the word critical, but I'm saying this from a critical care perspective. Working in the ICU, Mm. pharmacists are irreplaceable. And I think that's what makes it more frustrating. Like when you know the value of what you do and you see it on a daily basis. But you see the flip side of it not being, you're, you're working within a system that still looks at you kind of like as less than in a way, mm-hmm. you know, where because you're not actively generating the income, like you don't get to take a share of it type of thing. Whereas your job, it's more addition by subtraction mm-hmm. where you subtract mistakes and you end up saving way more. Or, hey, administrator, instead of ordering this $200,000 drug, there's something for 5000 that saves you and the patient and insures so much money. And does the same And does the same job. Does the same thing. So I think ultimately that's what, where the disconnect is. Like on the balance sheet, where your value isn't like seen in black and white on that like accounts receivable type of thing. So it's, I think that's, that's what makes it especially frustrating. That's fair. But I think overall, you have to have hope. Otherwise, like you don't, it's easy to despair. Right, right. So right. you just try to keep things more positive, which is why, you know, we do things like we have hobbies. Yeah. We travel, we do photography, et cetera, And to et be fair, pharmacy, the income you've made mm-hmm. through pharmacy has... In, a, in not a small part, mm-hmm. facilitated your problems. This is absolutely true. So it's absolutely true. You are who you are because of. It's absolutely true. That pH. I think. What is it? That farm D. That farm D. Farm D. 
But I think like it's hard to, it's good to keep a balance between being grateful, mm-hmm. like for what you have and also realizing like what is possible, you know? Absolutely. So keep your eye on the future. Exactly. Um, there's always room for improvement. Precisely. And you're just making that point that perhaps on a year-to-year basis, there is more room for improvement now than there was five years ago. Touche. There's far more room. There's... Uh... You're, lose, you're losing ground. Right. Um, As opposed to gaining ground, ground which, and progress. Again, you know, I'm not, I'm not like bitter about it. I'm more... I'm vocal the way I am because, again, kind of like, I don't know, you're buying a car, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, a Maserati. I was looking at the Maserati Gran Turismo, right? <laughs> uh, hear, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. There's a Maserati Gran Turismo that is, like, I think it's a V12 Ferrari engine in that thing. Okay. It's, it's a spectacular car. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Not terribly priced, used. So... You look at it relatively. Relative. Like it's you can have it for the price of a small house. It's older now. <laughs> Actually, way cheaper. Wow. Like it's one of the older models, like maybe five-ish years old at this point. Okay. Thanks to depreciation. Okay. You can have it for the price of a well-specked out Tesla. Okay. Right? And that's still price. Like a model three. Okay. Right. So however, you look at that thing on paper and like, yo. Buy it, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. But if there's not an owner who's yelling from the rooftops like, yo, this engine has pistons that blow, right? Mm. The suspension will go out, the AC goes out, and each of those fixes, because it's a Ferrari engine, is going to cost you two, three times the cost of the car to fix. Like, they're just things that you're not aware of. So to kind of like bring the analogy home, pharmacy has pistons that... <laughs> are very expensive to fix, especially like if you're going into it accruing student loans at interest rates that you may never really pay off. Right, right. Because did I tell you about the, like I did the math, right? Mm-hmm. I like how much I'm paying these kids these days. And say you take out 250 in student loans, mm-hmm. right? And at a 6 7% interest rate, mm-hmm. you pay that off. You pay your monthly bill, say a conservative, like 1500 a month in rent or mortgage, mm-hmm. um, your phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By the time you pay all that off, right, at $45 an hour, you're looking at headroom, like disposable income, eight years of school. And the pharmacy program is incredibly intense. Right. Because while it's clinical, there's so much memorization involved as well. Right, right, right. For the agents that you're using, the mechanisms, et cetera. Right for the soul. Right. So all that work, all that heartache, the board exams, the (laughs) the VMA started on the cost of licensing. Mm -hmm. Because for every state you want to be licensed and working, Mm -hmm. that's an average of, you're going to pay minimum $1,200 per state. Same thing in medicine. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So by the time you look at that and you pay your bills every month, you pay your student loans, you're looking at $10 an hour left in disposable income we're talking less than chick-fil-a less than mcdonald's is paying more than that now 
in disposable income after student knows if you're working like a staff pharmacist job. Of course, that analogy is faulty mm-hmm. in that the Chick-fil-A worker is working on that for everything you just highlighted. Touche. I mean, in disposable income, like headroom. Right, right. Right. So like say you got a second job as a Chick-fil-A right, worker, right, like right. you've been making more right. than a pharmacist, right. like, which is incredible. Right. So I think that's why I'm so vocal about like, yo, like know what you're getting into. Like know what you're getting into. How does one get a passion for pharmacy? Like where does that come from? So mm. how do you, you know, so you, you, as a kid, what, what exposure does a child have or a young adult have to say, yeah, I want to be a pharmacist? So other because, than say familial. So your dad was right. that, your mom was that, your aunt, someone you cared about. Mm. You had a, you know, a mentor that just, you know, just. So on average, because most people don't know what hospital pharmacists do. Right. Because we're not visible right. in the healthcare space. Right. Um, it's why during COVID, um, like all the healthcare hero discounts were like for nurses and doctors. And excluded from like, I'm like, bro, like, what the hell? What's hell? Um, but most people get exposed to pharmacy through like their retail pharmacist. Like, so, you know, you can walk up there like, hey, I've had this headache or this rash. Like, what do you think would work? Because we're the most accessible right, like, right. healthcare entities without, you know, having to book an appointment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes you guys are the first point of contact. Exactly. You could say, hey, that looks more serious. And without actively trying to say what a diagnosis is, could be like, hey, you need to go see your doctor. Right, 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 right. So you see a skin lesion with like your, your regular borders, right. okay. go see your doctor. Yeah. Um, some people are influenced by that. Um, but I think ultimately, when you're trying to make the decision to go into the profession, mm-hmm. I think the way it's marketed is as a healthcare doctorate, like you're a doctor, like my name is Dr. Eke. Like that bragging right mm-hmm. with a relatively easy lifestyle, with relatively, with less training than going to be an MD. Um, I think that's the rub. Like it's marketed as Status? Status and income. Because they tell you six figures, but right. like... There's, there's different levels. Exactly. Six there's, there's six figures where, okay, I can afford to go to Cabo. And there's six figures where I'm taking my whole family to the Amalfi Coast. Like, right, right, right. There's, right. there's levels to this. So that's... Oh, those are two very high levels. Though, huh? <laughs> no, they're, they're great. Said, I mean... He said Cabo and Amalfi Coast. right there. Oh, oh, I was right there, dog. Amalfi is like... Oh, people think level. that we're living some kind of uh, uh, influencer lifestyle. I've never been to Cabo. This man has... Per- clearly, I've never been to Cabo. By choice. But By choice. I've, Get out of here. I'm just saying. By choice. This <laughs> Cabo's me. He's Amalfi. Mind you, mind you, I'm single. I'm like, no kids. Fair. So my income goes towards just that. Right. Um. So that's, I think, where you also need to have the counter-programming of people who are in the profession going like, hey, like, just not, not only just don't do it, it's if you're going to do it, like if this is what you want to do, like be aware of it, you know? Like think about what you're doing before you make these steps, before you go forward, like along with basically mortgaging your life away right. with an income level that won't match what your student loans are type nice. of thing. So 
that's kind of where I stand on the topic. Yeah. I think I think there's I agree with you. There's I'm but I'm hopelessly optimistic. I always have been. You always have been. I've always been. Yeah. So there's hearing you obviously I think on one hand I appreciate my pharmacist more. I have to give them a hug when it comes to my serum. I, I see what you're going to. Mm-hmm. My brother. I, I, I know what you're going to. Yeah. Well, this was truly captivating. I appreciate you. Um, yes, sir. Like I said, I, it's, it's tremendous insight. I appreciate you coming by. This is my first episode. Can't wait to have you for another one. Looking forward to what we talk about next. No, no. So this was this next was time really, it'll be like some travel, some more, some more, some something lighter. more fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the kind of nuance that I hope to get into with all of my guests. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you for setting the pace. Of course, this was truly enlightening. Appreciate you, bro. Ah, ah. All right. <laughs> so yeah. Intro.